Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Well, thank you, Linda, for those words of of introduction, and I'm just delighted to be here. I'm so thankful for the relationship between Orange and UNC Wesley that's been growing in recent years. A lot of meals have passed from here, those few miles up the roads, to our students, and they're always so grateful for those. Um, and just in the last couple years, with Jim Holland serving on our board, and then Linda serving on our board, and now on our staff, uh, this connection is just one that's growing and growing and growing. I know this church for many years has provided opportunities for our students to participate in the ministry here in a number of ways. There are normally a couple of our students in the nurseries on Sunday mornings. Of course, right now, Ryan Lutz is one of our our students as well, who's here running tech uh, every Sunday and also running tech for us every Sunday. So thank you for training him so well that he could seamlessly transition into helping us. But just delighted to be here to have a chance to to share the good news. We're going to start by sharing a couple scriptures. The first is from James. It starts in the third chapter. It'll go into the fourth chapter a little bit. And this is what James writes. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness, born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish, For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above, it's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit, without a trace of partiality or or hypocrisy, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and you do not have it, so you commit murder, and you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. I'm sorry, you do not have because you do not ask, and then you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your own pleasures. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. And then our second scripture comes from the Gospels. It's the story of Jesus. One of those times he was teaching his disciples. Read, starting in Mark chapter 9, verse 30, continue on through verse 37. Two little stories back to back. So Jesus and his disciples went on from there and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. 
he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child, put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. So this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Eternal God, as we gather once again in and through your word, God, we know you're already here. You promised it, and we felt it already in, in all that's been sung, all that's been prayed, all that's been done already in this space. And now, oh God, as we, we take these moments to reflect on your word to us, we ask that you'd speak into each of our hearts. Because, God, we, we're, we're here because we know we need you. We need that word of life, of truth, of grace, of peace to make it through another week. And so we ask you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to know how the disciples ever got it in their heads that this was the right time to talk about who was the greatest. Right? Jesus had just told them that he was going to be betrayed, put to death, come back from the dead, and they're like, well, that's cool and all, Jesus, but hold on a second. We've got to get back to figuring out which of us is the greatest. Right? Where'd they ever get the idea that that was the right time to bicker about who was the best? And if we track back through Scripture a little more, we see it only gets worse. Right before this conversation, the disciples had just failed to cast a demon out of a, a small boy because either they didn't know to or they forgot to pray. That's kind of embarrassing, right? And now, how would you think this is the right time to then argue about who's the greatest? Right before that had been the transfiguration, when Jesus had gone up the mountain with a few of his disciples, and Jesus had literally just started to glow with the full glory of God, and the Old Testament heroes Moses and Elijah showed up. That's a moment that should humble you, right? But instead, they turn around and start arguing about which of them is the greatest. How did they get there? But here we are. Now, we're told that the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was saying as he described his upcoming death and resurrection. So maybe they were trying to hide the fact that they had no clue with, with some false bravado. Right? Maybe it was easier to just, instead of having to turn and look to each other and be like, hey, Peter, do you have any idea what he was talking about? No, John, I got no idea. What about you? James, nothing. Maybe it was easier, instead of doing that, to kind of deflect and, and hide their ignorance behind these questions of greatness. Right? If they do that, maybe they don't have to admit that they were all ignorant and clueless. And this is where the book of James is so wise. It says, you covet something and you cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. The disciples wanted to have Jesus all figured out, but they can't yet. So they start disputing instead. We know how that works, right? We know that's where playground bullies and braggarts come from. Those who, not having that self-love that they want, start disputes and conflicts to mask it. Right? This is where the Bernstein Bears are so wise. Right, as Linda mentioned, I have a, an almost four-year-old. I've got an almost year-and-a-half-year-old. So I'm reading a whole lot of Berenstein Bears lately. And then there's that one about the in-crowd where we're sister bears at the playground, and there's this new bear who starts bullying, 
and, and, and she doesn't understand why, and so she asks, and Mama Bear says, you know, there are some cubs and even some grown-ups that try, the only way they know how to build themselves up is by putting others down. That's where we find the disciples this morning. Of course, Jesus catches them at it. Like, I don't think you get anything past Jesus, right? And so Jesus responds by bringing a little child among them, taking this child into his arms and saying, if you want to welcome me, if you really want to welcome me, if you really want to welcome the fullness of God, you don't do it by wondering who's great. You do it by welcoming children. Reminds me of a few stories that I heard of Nelson Mandela when I spent a summer in South Africa during seminary. The first was actually in a video in one of the museums that I went to, and it was a clip of a time that a little boy came to see Mr. Mandela. He'd just been elected president of South Africa, had just recently won the Nobel Peace Prize, was one of the most admired and respected, well-known people in the world, and as this little boy walks up to meet him, Mr. Mandela reaches out his hand, looks the little boy in the eye, and says, thank you so much for giving me the honor of meeting you. What must have that done for that little boy's sense of self-worth? for his hero to say, thank you for letting me meet you. Second story is like it. It came from the, the pastor who was my supervisor that summer from, from about that same time when he was pastoring a church and, and Mr. Mandela came to worship in his church that morning. And afterwards, as he was preparing to leave, the pastor's daughter came up and whispered in his ear and said, Daddy, isn't Mr. Mandela going to do something for the children? Mr. Mandela turned to his assistant and said, what's my next appointment? Who's it with? Where is it? What's the time? And they said, call them and tell them I'm going to be 15 minutes late. And he stopped and he spoke to each child individually. The wisdom from James says, wisdom from above, it's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's willing to yield even our schedules, full of mercy. You know, watching Jesus gently hold this child up against their previous conversation about who was great must have made those disciples feel pretty small. Right? And even more so in their culture than, in, than when we look at it through the lens of our culture. You know, in Jesus' day, I'm sure parents still loved their children, but, but in the culture as a whole, the way culture looked at children was not the same. Children were not viewed in that day as being sweet and innocent and wonderful little royalty. No, far from it. In those days, children were viewed as being the absolute bottom of the social ladder, no social standing at all. That culture, even more than our own, was built on wealth and privilege and prestige, things that children didn't have, things that children couldn't help you acquire, and so they ranked low in that culture. If you really want to welcome me, says Jesus, you're going to welcome that one who can't help you achieve that greatness that you were just arguing about. And just before that, Jesus has said, if you want to be great, be the servant of all. And that was a technical title for a particular type of servant, the servant who was the lowest of the low, the servant who would serve all the other servants meals and would not get to eat until everyone, including all the other servants, had eaten and then would only get the leftovers. 
Be like that, said Jesus. And also welcome the ones who can't help you get ahead. So perhaps the disciples didn't understand Jesus because they didn't understand what he was talking about. But perhaps they didn't understand Jesus because they knew exactly what he was talking about, but they couldn't fathom it or accept it. What they had expected was this Messiah who would raise the army, lead the battle, win the victory, kick Rome out of the country, power, wealth, prestige, beating the world according to the world's own terms of engagement. But what they got was this Messiah who talked about being peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, even unto his own death and resurrection not willing to exist in the world by its own terms and calling his disciples to do the same. Perhaps the disciples go running back to their conversations about greatness because that's the only world they know. That's the only world they've ever experienced. They can't begin to imagine a world that could, could live and work by any other rules. Can't fathom it. And so Jesus offers them this choice to to turn away from living like wealth and power and prestige are the most important things, and instead to live for peace, for gentleness, for mercy, and they can't fathom it. And can we? What do you think your life would be like if in every interaction you have, you, you entered it by asking, how can I be peaceable in this moment? Right? How can I make peace? And please remember that peace is not just the absence of conflict because Jesus isn't about being passive-aggressive or internalizing all your frustration and pretending it's not there. Right? He called his disciples out right away. Right? He didn't let them off the hook, but he did it in a gentle way. He, he led with conversation. He didn't, ask, he didn't lay down all these things are doing wrong and ask them, how do they answer it? No, he just, he just engaged them in some conversation, but he didn't let it slide. There's no passive aggression there. There's no internalizing of frustration there, pretending it didn't happen there. You know, to be peaceable is to ask, how can I hold space, particularly in the midst of tension, so that life can flourish? How can I be peaceable in this moment? What would your life be like if in every interaction you entered it by asking, how can I be gentle? Right? Not being a pushover, Jesus clearly wasn't, but being gentle even when you have to have hard conversations, even when there are differences in expectations or differences in outcomes. How can I be gentle? And how would your life be different if you entered every interaction by asking, how can I show mercy? Mercy's not just a get-out-of-jail-free card, you know, pretending like nothing happened, but it's valuing the healing and the hope of redemption instead of lingering on past harms, past wrongs. How can I, how would your life be different? How would my life be different if we ever entered every interaction asking, how can I be peaceable? How can I be gentle? How can I show mercy? And as you ask that question, please don't forget that you have more interactions with yourself than with anybody else. Please be gentle with yourself. 
right? Particularly in this season of lingering COVID where there's been so much stress, there's been so much loss, there's been so much grief, there've been so many missed opportunities, there's been so many times we've been outside the normal patterns of our lives. Please be gentle with yourself. God loves you. God thinks you're pretty great, right? Some things to work on, sure, but God does that work with peace, with gentleness, with mercy. God invites you to treat yourself the same way. Because I don't know about you, but oftentimes for me, it's when I'm struggling to be gentle with myself that I struggle being gentle with others. I mean, take your pick of so many examples. Of, a lot of them have to do with housing projects, right? When the plan is flawless up until it isn't, when the tools don't do what they're supposed to do, but what I'm really frustrated about is that I can't make the tools do what I want them to do. And then my wife suggests that I take a break, which is what I really need to do. But in that moment, I hear that as well. To admit I need to take a break is to admit that I can't do it, that I failed, that my plan wasn't good enough, so I have to push through. So if I'm not being gentle with myself, I don't appreciate that suggestion. And if I'm really not being gentle with myself, then I let her know that I don't appreciate that suggestion. Right. Not proud of it, but it happens. We're not gentle with ourselves. It's oftentimes hard to be gentle with others. Jesus invites us into this life of gentleness. And the good news is that the places where Jesus invites us into those are the places where Jesus will help us get there. Again, the wisdom of James. Draw near to God. Ask God for help. God will draw near to you. True gentleness is hard, right? Finding this, this balance where it's not just not lashing out, but it's also not being self-effacing or a pushover either. Finding this balance where you hold on to your own worth, but you find ways to do it without putting others down, even in those sinister, subtle ways. It's hard. It's countercultural. It was in Jesus' time. It's still countercultural today. But remember where Jesus started this conversation. He was talking about his death, yes, but he was also talking about resurrection. This is about eternal life. And as Methodists, we, we know that eternal life isn't something that just starts when we die. Rather, eternal life, it's about an abundance of life here and now that is stronger than death. Yes, absolutely. But it's also about an abundance of life here and now. So be gentle, friends. Be gentle to yourself. Be gentle to others. It's hard. So ask Jesus for help. Because it's worth it. Because that's how we experience resurrection. Would you pray with me? Eternal God, we know that the things you call to us are for our good, that you're always working for our good, even when you ask us into spaces that, that are hard, spaces where we, we slip up into time, spaces where we can't always be those things that we want to be. And so, God, as we, we continue in this hour of worship, as we continue to spend time with you, we ask that you'll be at work in us, that you'll be at work in us, changing us from the inside out, so the fruit of the Spirit goodness, faithfulness will all flow through us, for that's where we find life abundant, and that they might indeed flow.
to share that good news. I ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.